for the week of April 10th, 2022. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 580, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And at 221B Baker Street, I'm Michael Giltz. Uh, you know what? That sounds to me like a Sherlock Holmes reference. The the whole like Baker Street, isn't that? It doesn't sound like it. it. It is a reference to Sherlock oh, okay. Holmes because I am in, I'm not in the metaverse. I'm in the Sherlock Holmes universe. Oi, HBO Max has announced they're launching the Sherlock Holmes universe. They're spinning off from the movies starring uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law. They are going to make TV shows and miniseries and stuff all based around the world of Sherlock Holmes. Obviously, Enola Hughes, uh, Enola uh, Holmes has already done on Netflix, but they could do the Baker Street Irregulars. Those are the kids that run around, the urchins. You can make a show built around them. Mrs. Hudson, maybe she has a mysterious life. Uh, Moriarty, a miniseries of thing from the perspective of Moriarty. That would be a fresh idea. Not in books. Many of those have been done. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has written some set in the Sherlock Holmes world. He should be working on a series for you. Young Sherlock Holmes, of course, was done poorly as a movie, but it's a good idea, too. So, yes, it's tiring. It's exhausting. Not everything has to be a universe. And yet, I can see the possibilities. Hopefully, they'll all be better than the movies, which suck. <laughs> those two films with Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, they are excellent and good casting, but the movies are just nonsense. Yeah, you know, it's funny because HBO originally passed on these projects because they, they said they're really only working on on uh, projects with known IP, you know, with, with historic IP. It's a joke. It's be my, Oh, I'm sarcastic. like, wait, what? I thought you were going to say they were only doing projects with dragons in them or something. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, that's actually the- funnier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I- and it's not that funny. <laughs> Oh, Um, oh, well, yeah, no. So, uh, uh, yeah, um, HBO and HBO Max, obviously much in the news because of our movie section when we have the Batman and our inside baseball where it's going to be discussed. So that's among the things we're going to talk about this week. Give us the roundup. Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are keeping a war eye overseas. Everybody is in China. The pandemic has cut the knees out from under the country's box office. Not to mention U.S. films like Fantastic Beasts. In Ukraine, of course, the war continues. And in Japan, another battle is brewing, this time over equal pay, respect, and safety for women in the film industry as the Me Too movement finally says, Konnichiwa. Plus, some believe the box office spells trouble for midsize action flicks. We're looking at you, Jake Gyllenhaal's ambulance, although wouldn't you say it's Michael Bay's ambulance? Because he, he seems to be getting all the credit for it. In any case, on Inside is Baseball... Credit the word? Is credit the word? Well, he is the director. Well, I know, but credit since the movie sort of has has stumbled at the box office. That's why. No, I I don't know. I guess we can discuss uh, during our box office segment. But during Inside Baseball, we'll dissect the fallout over the Warner Brothers and Discovery merger, which finally completed this week. In short, if you had an AT&T baseball cap to sport at work and you happen to work at Warner Brothers or HBO, you might want to leave that freebie at home. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. We're looking at box office around the world. We have a link to ComScore in our show notes. We're covering the entire box office for the week ending April 10th. Unlike those others lazy people who only give you two or three or four day box office, we give you all seven days box office because that's the number that matters. And Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is on top of the world. It grossed $115 million this week. It's at $141 million worldwide. 
Opening up overseas, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore opened up. There's no reported budget that I could find for this movie, but I'm going to assume, given some of the big names and the spectacle of it, it's got to be $175 million to $200 million, right? I, I think um, officially it's referred to as a whole heck of a lot. Yeah, it's definitely oh, okay. a big budget. Well, yeah. It opened up overseas in other markets, and it was reported as disappointing. It opened to $58 million. But what I didn't see is a breakdown in each country saying, oh, it opened up 30% lower in the UK than the last Fantastic Beast movie, or it opened up 30 or 20% lower here or there. I didn't see that, but I did see China. In China, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, he's gay. Um, that opened up to $10 million versus $36 million for the last installment of the movies. But of course, China is in massive lockdown right now. Uh, entire major cities like Shanghai are completely shut down. They're fighting COVID in a very strict, stringent, almost totalitarian manner, frankly. And uh, it's, you know, obviously hurting the box office. There's nobody to go to the movies when the movie theaters are shut down. So at that place alone, it lost $26 million, if you assume it might have done the same. And maybe if it was at $84 million, that, depending on how many territories it's out, we'd say, okay. But we don't know how many territories it's opened in and how they compare in those territories to the last movie. And that's the only fair comparison. The overall number is meaningless, because maybe they only opened up in 10. So we know it's down in China. How it's doing in the other countries, we don't know. But we know it's coming to the U.S. And we'll have to see where it ends up. But it's probably got to make $600 million in order to be considered a safe thing. And if it does make $600 million, it'll be the lowest grossing in the J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter universe franchise thing. Because the last Fantastic Beast, which I actually thought was better than the first one, that underperformed a bit. Still profitable, but nowhere near the you know, almost billion, eight hundred, nine hundred million dollars all the Harry Potters were making. Oh well. Now anyway. I can tell you why there's there was no comparison right now coming uh -huh. into uh, the coming in the only gross that has come in for that has been broken out internationally. Okay, for this particular movie, The Secrets of Dumbledore, is China. So later on, you'll see. Well, I've that seen. I've seen totals for countries. They said it made this much in the UK and this much. Uh, oh, really? Company. I did see a breakdown in one of them, unless I'm high, which is always possible. But yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that on Sunday. But okay. You know. But they didn't have a comparison to where where it was in the UK last time. I'm making up that particular territory. Maybe it hasn't opened up there. Anyway, it opened up. It's doing not great. China's hurting it. We'll see where it ends up. Morbius. That is doing well in the theaters, sort of. $42 million this week, $120 million worldwide. It only costs $75 million to make. So it's falling hard and fast. I shouldn't have said it was doing pretty good. It fell like 40, 50, 60%. Not unusual, but it didn't have such a big opening that that would be normal. You'd want to see it have a little bit of a better hold, 30 or 40% at least. In this case, it looks like people have seen the movie and they're not happy. The I can Batman, tell you, like, it's... it's the even a lot of times cinema operators won't say, Oh, this movie's so bad, we have to get like they're just they're like, This movie is so awful. Like, how could they release this movie? I've never heard cinema operators and, and basically movie theater owners kind of I don't want to say bad mouth a film because they're not bad mouthing it. They're just like, Oh my god, I can't believe people are coming to see this. Audiences are not liking it. A 70% rating on to Rotten Tomatoes, which is obviously a very biased audience. But in general, the fan numbers tend to be really high because those are the people who wanted to see the movie on opening week. And the critic scores are god-awful dreadful. Really, really, really low. So clearly, 
rejected by the critics and not being embraced by the fans. The Batman, however, is the uh, flip side of that. It has been embraced by critics pretty well and embraced by fans. It's made $735 million worldwide. This week, it made another $24 million. So The Darkest Night is doing okay. I blew it for you, Sperling. And you know what? This may be the last week it's on the chart. It may have one more week for you to say the movie's title is... The Batman. That's right. Why am I saying that? Because it's going to HBO Max on April 18th, 45 days after it opened in North America. This title will be going to HBO Max. I reached out to them and said, hey, is this worldwide or everywhere HBO Max is is available? And they said, at first, said, no, 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 it's just US. And then said, no, no, wait, no, it's actually worldwide. So worldwide, this movie will be available on HBO Max wherever HBO Max is you know, available. So if you got HBO Max in your country on April 18th, the Batman will be available for viewing for free for subscribers. Now, this week, it just made $10 million in the U.S. alone, and it's made $24 million worldwide. But next Monday, forget it. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, next Monday, boom, you know, one more weekend, and they're going to say, never mind. Is that too soon? I mean, it's made $24 million this week. If it made another $20 million or $18 million, I want to go see it in the theaters. I haven't gotten around to it yet. It's long. You know, they can put it out 45 days after, but when you're at $730 million and you're still making pretty good coin, you could get to $800 million when you want two, three, four more weekends. I feel like it's still got gas in the tank. You know, it's still got money to be made in the theaters. $24 million this week. Maybe only drop to $18 million next week. You know, maybe it'll have a great hold. I don't know. Anyway, that's the story about HBO Max and the Batman is going there 45 days after. Take that, Jason Keelar. Not day and date. Anyway, back to the charts. RRR. Not sure how to pronounce that title, but it's a big Telugu language action flick from India. It's been a big success worldwide. It costs, it made $20 million this week. It's at $132 million worldwide. It's the third biggest Indian film worldwide in history without adjusting for inflation. And probably even if you do, since you know, movies were not as widely distributed decades ago uh, that came from India, unfortunately. Now, it's great. It's big. It's obviously they, they had to expect that you know, $132 million was like a huge top big number for them to hit. But the movie costs $72 million to make, which means it needs to gross $210 million to be a big hit from box office alone. Does that mean they're spending more than they should? Or do they get a bigger cut of the box office in India? Do you know, Sperling? I do not. Um, you're, and if you're, asking, and if yeah, you're listening and you know, tell us. Do the Indian yeah, you can, theater owners get a bigger cut of the box office? Maybe they get 70%. I don't know. Yeah, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7266. Six, three. We're also on Twitter. And uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you're, you're seeing a lot of updates about what's going on in the entertainment industry all over the world. At Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. And we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox. That's right. Up next is uh, Romancing the Bullock. I mean, The Lost City, the action romantic comedy film starring Sandra Bullock. Channing Tatum, and Daniel Radcliffe of the Harry Potter universe. $17 million this week. It's at $80 million worldwide. That's more than it cost to make, which was about $75 million and pretty good word of mouth. We'll have to see where it ends up. Again, if only we had some sort of pie chart showing how much of the worldwide potential box office the movie had opened up in. You know, it's not enough to know it opened up in 19 territories. You want to have them 
a portion to the size of their box office so that China would be a big chunk and the U.S. would be a big chunk and, you know, Fiji would be a small chunk. <laughs> and so you'd get a sense, okay, it still has, you know, 60% of the potential box office to go, that sort of thing. Seems like a thing that would be really, really useful. We could probably automate it and do it on our own, right, Sperling? Oh yeah, just give me a you know a weekend. An hour. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, get, you know what? Get, by the time you're done with box office, the whole thing will be programmed. Great. And if you're in college and listening to that, you probably could do it. Get working. Ambulance <laughs> by Michael Bay, director and starring Jake Gyllenhaal, one of my favorite actors, has opened up in North America. It made twelve million dollars this week worldwide. It's at thirty-one million dollars and counting. It cost about forty million dollars to make, which is an awfully modest budget. And yet, people said, "Oh my God, is this the death of the mid-budget action film? What does it mean that Ambulance has not, you know, jumped out of the gate and done really, really well?" What does it mean, Sperling? I think it means that uh, you know there's too many movies uh, right now in in theaters. Uh, although, actually, yeah, I just don't think people. I don't think people knew this film was opening. I, I don't know. I don't know what it means. I, I don't think people really liked the idea of the film. They had no idea what it was about, uh, and. It means nothing. It means absolutely no one movie means anything about the death of the Western or movies with black actors can't succeed or people don't want to watch gay people in mainstream. You know, it means nothing. Didn't get great reviews. Audiences were okay with it. I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I thought the trailer delivered. There were like five or six movies scheduled to open up that were all big fat action films right on top of each other. I think they sort of spread out a little bit, but you know. I think just, that's, that to me is really play. what it meant. That to me is really what it meant. The whole like, you, you look at the box office and you already know that you're kind of coming back from a pandemic and, you, you know, attendance is kind of down a little bit. And then you, you're opening like five movies in one week. It's just, I, I don't know. I think you're absolutely right. People just didn't like it. Yeah. And I don't think it means anything about the midsize action flick. If you can make a movie and it's good, people will come. doesn't matter what Here, kind Here's of a midsize action flick for you. Uncharted. Mm -hmm. Remember that? I, I mean, do. I guess I mean, that wasn't mid-size. I guess that was a big well, it was $120 million. Dollars. It's certainly hoping to launch a big franchise, unlike Ambulance, which is a one-off. But it's right. certainly yeah. uh, you know, a, a smartly budgeted movie with one of the biggest movie stars in the world with Tom Holland. And it succeeded. $10 million, $383 million worldwide. It had the name recognition of pre-existing IP, intellectual property, meaning the video game that it's based on. So that and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at the top of our charts showing... They have finally figured out how not to make god-awful movies based on video games, at least commercially not god-awful. I don't think either of these movies is actually good, but I haven't seen Uncharted yet, and I like Tom Holland a lot, so I will. The Bad Guys is right above that. That made $11 million this week. That's an animated film based on kids' book. It comes from DreamWorks. It's made $40 million worldwide. Scrolling down the charts, uh, the Japanese uh, animated movie based on the manga Jujutsu Kaisen O made $9 million. That's at $180 million worldwide. Moonfall, a pretty big budget action film, $140 million. That's a disaster. It's at $54 million worldwide. But man, the numbers on this movie are wonky. Every week, it seems like I'm getting different numbers. We had over estimated what it had made like two weeks ago and last week we went way back down to 45 million dollars i don't think it made nine million dollars at the box office this week i couldn't figure out if it opened up in some big new territories but they now say it's at 54 million dollars at least according to wikipedia but the numbers on this movie are crazy all we know is that it costs a lot to make and it's not going to make it back at the box office
the, and on the positive side, Michelle Yao is a movie star once and for all in North America. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm hearing nothing but good things about this movie. It opened up in a wider release, made a lot of money, almost as much money as uh, as uh, Ambulance did, frankly, in North America. And it's on far fewer screens. So it's doing very, very well. It made $6 million this week. It's at $9 million worldwide. And this has got a long, long way to go. This is mostly playing in North America. And they have really launched it well. So I'm very excited to see it. Sing 2 is still chugging along. That passed the $400 million mark. We've got Dog, another Channing Tatum film, which hit $75 million. Spider-Man X and the Kashmir Files back in India. That made another $3 million. It seems to be at $44 million worldwide. And one more debut. We've talked about this French comedy series. The title in English is Serial Bad Weddings. This is Serial Bad Weddings 3, and it's a French comedy. It's the third in a series about a, a, a father and mother who have four daughters, and three of them marry outside their Catholic faith and men from like other parts of the world. So they're all freaked out by this in the first movie. Culture clash, hilarity, think all in the family except much, much dumber. Anyway, it's, it's, it's been a big hit, a huge hit in, in France. But why they call it Serial Bad Weddings in English, I have no idea. In French, it's called, What Have We Done to the Good Lord? And the sequel is, What Have We Done Again to the Good Lord? And then, What Have We Done One More Time to the Good Lord? What are we doing to God? God help us. I mean, why not call it One Bad Wedding After Another? Or Wedding Disasters? Or Bad It's kind of like that... uh, Wedding Crashers? No, like the the, the movie Oh God with George Burns, where the next one was Oh oh God, You Devil. Oh God, yeah. you devil. Well, that made sense. Right. Yeah, or bad exactly. faith. Anything other than serial bad weddings. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a terrible thing. The first movie was three girls. One married an Algerian Muslim. One met a, married a separate Jew. And one married a Han Chinese person, all with different things. The final daughter married a Catholic, but it turned out he was a black West African from the Ivory Coast. It cost $174 million. Almost all of it in France, I think. Huge, huge success story. This one's not doing nearly as well. It's the third in the series. They've run out of steam and actually from all the reviews and stuff it sounds pretty lowbrow and dumb but i think the basic concept is exceptionally ready for remake in the u.s you know parents who are whatever faith and one you daughter jump, a, you want to yeah. jump into that cultural divide i do absolutely <laughs> it, be with it's you. about everybody coming together and loving each other and realizing we have more in common than we are apart oh well that's everybody true. puts yeah no it's absent then you get to make fun of oh my god you know he's a buddhist but you learn he's just like you it's no it's it's totally ready to go oh well now, well, you, you know, remember- we talked a lot about about you know what uh, Sonic the Hedgehog two, and we, yeah. we talked a little bit ab- about uh, the Lost City, which is helping bring women back to the uh, mm-hmm. to to the movie theaters. But do you remember Jim Giannopoulos? Do you remember? I he, do. He, he was at Fox, and then he moved over. Well, he kind of retired, and then he was hired by Paramount Pictures to to kind of relaunch Paramount Pictures, and then Sherry Redstone took over the company and merged it with CBS. You know. It, brought Viacom back together again and sent Jim Giannopoulos packing. Well, here's the thing. When he left, there were a couple films in the pipeline, including Scream, which was a hit, Jackass Forever, which was a hit, The Lost City, which was a hit, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, obviously a hit, and next, Top Gun, Maverick, obviously a hit. So, you know, the guy actually, he, it took him a Deliver. while. He delivered, but uh, of course, there was politics involved. Yeah, Susan Line, my editor at Premier Magazine, who I have no connection to whatsoever anymore, but she went from Premier Magazine eventually to ABC, head of programming at ABC, only lasted one year, which is insane because you literally 
can only green light something and get it happen for the following year. So she was forced out or had to leave long before she could leave her fingerprints on the network. Uh, she left. And what were the, some of the shows she left behind that were about to air? Uh, Desperate Housewives and Lost. So, oh, well, you know, you know yeah, just a few, about, just a few, just a few that defined ABC for the next five, 10 years. Yeah. So I wanted to do this. Uh, I missed some things, you know, in China, we were talking about China and they're all shut down. Well, the pandemic has done that in response, perhaps in a way, China has finally approved its first video games to be released in almost a year. It's been July of 2021 since they have approved any gaming to go online or however you talk about video games these days. And that's maybe because the box office is shuttered and everyone's stuck at home and they're like, can yeah, we I think play you're a video absolutely game? right about that. They're like, hmm, how do we quell the the uprising that's about to occur? Because people are basically saying, hey, this zero COVID thing, it's unrealistic. We're all losing our jobs. We're all starving here. This is a big pain. We are not going to follow you anymore. You know, we're not going to listen to this whole you know, stay inside for weeks on end and go get tested again and well, again. Yes, and again. you, yes, you and, will listen because it's a totalitarian state. So you well, have no choice. And, and so there, <laughs> there you go. You ha you have the Chinese government going, Hey, guess what? A new video game. We have a new video <laughs> game. Everybody. I, a new video I don't game. believe there. I don't believe there are any reports of uh, food shortages. However, I, I know Hong Kong. Exaggeration. Go, go check just, Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah. well, the, the shelves are empty, but people are not starving. I no, 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 no. It's nothing like say Afghanistan, no, yeah. which is a, a big right, problem right. right now. Yeah. And finally, uh, when we talked about the success of RRR, the big Telugu language Indian action flick playing well all over the world, I wanted to mention that Warner Music India just announced uh, a new partnership with J Just Music or J Just Music. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, it's that's obviously a major Indian music label, and their first release this week is an English language pop song by Tiger Shroff. A big, big action star, martial artist, and singer who's had some hit albums. So obviously, they have a presence in India. It's called Warner Music India, that division. They want a big presence in that country because everybody wants to do business there. It's a big market. It's only going to grow in terms of its financial power. And you want to take those Bollywood stars and action and music stars and bring them to the rest of the world, just like you see in Korea happening. Uh, I'm sure Tiger Shroff looks at BTS and says, I can do that. And I'm one man. So. You know, uh, uh, I've, I've mm -hmm. finally had some time to think about your question about what it means for action movies, the, the misfire of ambulance. Uh -huh. I finally figured it out. Here's what it means. It means the trade papers needed something to write about. That's really <laughs> That's it, it is the dog days of April, I guess, but big movies yeah, exactly. are coming. We could, they could look at our GoFundMe account though. Cause you know, we want to help people. We, we have a charitable side to showbiz sandbox. We like to reach out and help those in need. And yeah, this we is, need to. Yeah. This is the section for CEO pay. Of course at Netflix, Reed Hastings and Ted Sarandos, both had pay cuts this year. Reed Hastings only made $40 million and Ted Sarandos only made $38 million. That's less than they made last year. So, you know, they've got families, they've got homes, homes, plural. <laughs> so we've set up a GoFundMe account so we can help them out. You know, it's just something we like to do. Sperling will match every dollar donated by multiple of five. So if you donate $1 to the Ted to the Ted Sarandos uh, helping fund, Sperling will donate $5, just so you know. Hold on, I've just got to take uh, something down off of GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully people in Japan are going to pay attention to things rather than trying to hide them and cover them up. What's going on in Japan? Well, beginning, they're, they're beginning to face the Me Too moment that yeah, uh, I is, guess this, is kind it, of... It, it, 
It's very complicated. We had like three or four stories coming out last week, and I kept updating the information. It was like, okay, a director. Okay, two directors and an actor. Okay, a big producer. So I've messed up everything in here, but we have multiple women coming forward talking about basically a, a long, ongoing pattern of demanding sex in exchange for roles and at times simply sexually assaulting them and paying no price for it personally or legally. Uh, all sorts of names here, many of whom are not familiar to me, but perhaps the biggest one is the prominent producer, uh, Umakawa Haruro. Uh, lots of character actors, directors, uh, other people, multiple news stories with multiple women coming forward, sex in exchange for roles, harassment, assault, and more. Some men have apologized for their behavior, while nonetheless saying the details in the articles are wrong and they'll be suing. Others simply say none of it's true, and one actor confirmed the details of one case, saying yes, he did procure the woman, he brought her to the director that was named in the article, and then he left them alone. She says the director then assaulted her. There are many names caught up in this. It's not just one story, it's multiple stories, though they seem to be from tabloids. They, they seem fairly like, you know, not anonymous. People are coming forward. They are talking about it. Uh, and multiple places are covering it seemingly more every day. We're trying to get a handle on it, but it just looks like basically women have had enough in Japan and they're like, this is really bad. This culture has been going on for a long time. We've had enough of it. So hopefully that will gain steam. And if wrongdoing has been happening, people will pay a price, at least business wise, and maybe things can change. Nothing has, changed much in the, nothing has changed much in the streaming world. The weekly coverage of the big numbers for streaming remains scattershot. We, I get emails, Sperling gets emails from Variety, Holly Reporter, Deadline. You don't always get these stories. And I, and I look for them online and I can't find them. Every, it, they're not out there every week about the big streaming numbers. I don't understand why since there's because so much activity I, I, there. I can tell you why. Because nobody, first, it, nobody cares. Nobody, of course they, they care. People want to know what the biggest hit is on, on, they want, everybody's talking about inventing Anna. People who like it are talking about worst roommate ever and Vikings Valhalla. People talk about this stuff all the time. Of course they care. Right, but the problem, the problem is that there's no legitimate source and that's, you know, it's Nielsen's problem. That's Nielsen. the problem that they're having uh, is that they're trying to legitimize this and people are saying, but are you legitimate because you're only measuring this portion and not the other portion? And, and so that's not their fault. That's the fault of the, of the, of the tech people and the companies doing them. The companies don't want to cooperate. HBO Max doesn't Correct. want their numbers out. Absolutely so right. It's none of that is Nielsen's. They're doing the best job they can. And it seems like they are capturing big hits like Inventing Anna and Encanto doing really well on streaming. It seems like they are capturing a snapshot of some of what's going on, and it's worth reporting on. And I mean, that doesn't that doesn't excuse only covering the numbers every third week. That doesn't mean you know, either you don't cover them at all because you don't think they're legitimate, or you cover them all the time because they're coming out every week. In any case, we did get an update. Oh, in any case, Nielsen was acquired by a private equity group for $16 yeah. billion. I don't know the private equity group. Most of them seem to be, you know, Take the company, squeeze out everything you can, and then throw the shell away. Whether this group actually wants them to be there for the long term and wants to invest in them so they can then flip it and make money, but not have Nielsen be a shadow of its former self, I don't know. I couldn't figure that out. I tried to look up the equity group and what their track record is, but in general, not a good sign when you're bought by a private equity group. They usually just you know squeeze out every penny and profit they can, and then you're laden with debt, and they walk away, right? That's, that's what happens a lot of the time. Hopefully that won't happen with Nielsen because we do need some outside source providing accurate information for television viewing. And the Grammys. 
We have now final final numbers. We'll have you know thirty plus day numbers. But right now, it looks like the Grammys were watched in the first three days by nine point six nine million viewers. Very low. Just two percent of them were people aged eighteen to forty nine. Right? How that's is that horrible. possible? What is it? Just like the old people like us watching? No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what the trick is. Only three percent of all TV people watching at the time watched the Grammys of any age. So they're talking about of all the people in the U.S. around then, only 3% watch the Grammys. So they're not looking at the televisions that were turned on. They're looking at saying, all right, there's this many uh, uh, TV viewing people in America, and only 3% of them watch the Grammys. Well, that's kind well, okay. of a... And only, so if it's yeah. 2% of 18 to 49, that's not far off the total number of 3%. It's 50% lower, to be honest. But yeah, they're not reaching 18 to 49-year-olds that well. They're not reaching anyone that well because less than 10 million people watched it. So put it on TikTok and, and, and it would be a huge smash hit. Put it on TikTok. Oh, if it was on TikTok, it would be a big, big deal, wouldn't it? Oh, oh, wait. If you think the Grammys on TikTok would be a big deal, I've got a few stories for you that I'm going to run past you. And you tell me whether they're a big deal or a big whoop. OK, because politics it is alert. politics alert, politics alert. OK, oh, oh, for those for viewers who get triggered by politics, they might want to skip over a story or two, though. We'll try and keep it down. Well, okay, so Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story, yes, it relates to a politician, but it is a show business story, and it's kind of, in a way, sad yet funny because this is stupid from start to finish. Jimmy Kimmel took a jab at the radical far-right congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is admittedly, she will probably tell you she's about as far-right as you can go. In his monologue, Kimmel called her clan mom, okay, just kind of like as a, as, a, as a throwaway joke, and said she was especially upset at the three Republican senators who voted for Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. Taylor Greene tweeted, Murkowski, Collins, and Romney are pro-pedophile. And that's what she tweeted. And Kimmel said, wow, where is Will Smith when you really need him? And Green said he was a, you know, Green, the now, now the politician, said that Jimmy Kimmel was a misogynist promoting a violence and reported Kimmel to the Capitol Police. Next night in his monologue, Kimmel reported her to Batman. Big deal or big whoop. He also texted to her text saying that she had reported him to the Capitol Police. He said, uh, yes, I'd like to report a joke. Yeah, that he said, what, 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 what did you say? Officer, I would like to report a joke. <laughs> yeah. Now, to be clear, Marjorie Taylor Greene is extremely lunatic. She has repeatedly aligned herself with violent far-right extremists. She's, she's called for the overthrow of the government to, to, you know, to, to throw away the election results. She has called for the execution of Democratic politicians and FBI agents she says are in league with the deep state. Those aren't jokes. She is serious. Yeah. And she and no, she's people also were surprised. Remember when she won where, the, the election yeah. and people were like, yeah. oh, are you kidding? How did she win? Like nobody could f figure out how she won. And she said that Hillary, well, probably by saying what she said. She's also said Hillary Clinton is a pedophile, that Hillary Clinton has performed human sacrifices and had her political enemies, her political enemies assassinated. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Having said all that, what Jimmy Kimmel did is bad. I'm sorry. You don't talk, joke about assaulting people. Now, he talked about how he's gotten lots of death threats, mostly from people who support Marjorie Taylor Greene and people like her. He gets them all the time because he sometimes talk about progressive politics. And she's not joking when she says these people should be executed. And that can lead people to do horrific things. There's a huge difference between his clear joke 
and her call for violence and her support of violent radical groups. Very different. Nonetheless, joking that somebody should slap her, not funny, not good. It's like, no, don't do it. Don't joke about people being assaulted. I didn't know that that's what the joke, you know, maybe this is well, my stupidity. Will Smith. I thought it, I thought it was, it was that, you know, where is Will Smith when you need him to like take the, the spotlight off of you to like shine no, it somewhere else? He should slap her. <laughs> no, your, yours is a lot better. I like you. That's the joke. That's the joke that Will Smith <laughs> oh should slap her. And that's, you know, I know it's just a joke, but like, yeah, don't do it. Don't joke about people being assaulted. Just not cool because there are nutty people out there and he doesn't have a lot of nutty people running around with guns to do violence because Jimmy Kimmel said something. Uh, she literally does meet with people who have lots of guns ready to do crazy things. And there's no comparison to what she has done publicly without joking and his mild, stupid joke. But I don't think it's cool. And you shouldn't make jokes about people assaulting other people. Sorry. Well, well, let's stick with politics for just a second here, okay? Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna, uh, now, the satellite TV pro provider, and it's not really politics. This is all entertainment-based. So the satellite TV provider, DirecTV, oh. they're, they're a satellite provider here in the U.S. They dropped the right-wing news channel, One America News. That's the name of the channel. And they dropped them last week, despite public pressure from six Republican attorneys general and at least one Republican senator. Critics Where say, were they when my cable provider dropped TV land? That's what I want to know. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so critics say the channel has openly supported the overthrow of the U.S. government and almost daily spreads lies and dangerous misinformation about COVID amidst a pandemic, for starters. Losing DirecTV means that OAN has lost its major source of revenue and may shut down for good. DirecTV still carries Fox News. Newsmax and offers the streamer Fox Nation as a premium option. So is this a big deal or a big whoop? Well, it's a big whoop. I mean, people can subscribe directly for $5 a month to OAN. So it has not been deplatformed. No one is censoring it. This company just chose to drop it. Now, you could see this as a business decision because the channel gets a very, very, very tiny audience and a very old audience. And after the election, its modest numbers fell off a cliff, as far as I can tell. But what I thought was interesting about this was not the politics, but the fact of carriage fees. Carriage still matters. This is why Byron Allen is rich. It still matters when channels are carried on cable providers and TV providers like DirecTV. There's still a lot of money to be made. We talk about streaming all the time, but you know what? There's still a lot of money in regular old cable TV and having a channel and having ads. And even if you don't watch it, you're paying for it because that's how cable works. You may not watch ESPN, but if you got cable of some sort, five or six or seven dollars is probably going to ESPN every month thanks to you. So, you know, that's, that's, that's why carriage still matters. And we're still talking about when these channels get dropped because it matters and there's money to be made. But, well, you, you know, know when, a, a couple mm -hmm. things. OAN, do you remember when, when during the, the, the Trump administration, when Trump was president, he would always call on Chanel Ryan from OAN. And somehow she always sneaked into the press room, even during COVID, when they like cut the number of attendees in half. She refused to, you know, you would have an on day and an off day and then an on day again when you were allowed into the press the press room uh, to keep the number of people down. She just would always walk in and she would always ask these like, inane, ridiculous questions. And the press corps hated her. And then John Oliver from, you know, HBO Max's show uh, last week tonight, he made incessant fun of her and OAN about like, what is this channel? Because he was kind of mocking the fact that they were making light of COVID uh, and saying, do not listen to them. So 
it's kind of, in a way, they're getting their comeuppance by being so not newsworthy other than the fact that they're not newsworthy. Right. They're not drawing an audience. And I think I think that's it more than the pressure from the left to say you shouldn't be. And there was a lot of pressure from the left to say you shouldn't be supporting this channel. They'd be out of business if you weren't just carrying them because they don't make any money. You know, without your carriage fees, they are not a business. And so you, AT&T, through DirecTV, are supporting this far right group that's been accused, you know, credibly accused of supporting the overthrow of the government. Why are you doing that? And AT&T said, yeah, maybe we don't want to be doing that right now. but. It's very confusing. And you can say, oh, pressure on the left is fine, but pressure on the right is terrible. Well, pressure when it works is kind of a nice. Now, speaking of something that works against something that doesn't work, uh, we kind of skipped over the whole part where we mentioned Will Smith, but then didn't That's mention right. the fact that he's been banned from the Oscars and Academy events for the next decade, to which I say, wait, he's been banned from a four-hour ceremony, but he can still be nominated. And what are you... Well, no, I, th- I mean, I, th- I thought it was I thought it was a uh, a reasonable step. Now he he resigned from the academy, and there was a report that some people were annoyed. They're like, "Well, we were going to kick him out, and then he quit first. It's like, well, <laughs> okay, but that was still a reasonable thing for him to do to say, "I have shamed the academy. I am resigning from the academy." I thought that was an appropriate step, rather than yeah. stealing their thunder. I thought that's okay. So now some say, "Well, we would have banned him for five years, but since he quit, we're going to ban him for ten years. We got to do something." It's like, well, what else are they supposed to do? You know, they have he's quit the academy or they would have kicked him out. He's been banned for 10 years from academy ceremonies and events. He can still be nominated for and win an Oscar because you don't need to be a member of the academy to do so. And I'm not quite sure what else. I mean, you know, tar and feather him. I mean, uh, it's certainly an appropriate, you know, step. Now, some think it's not enough and everybody needs to apologize. Uh, You know, Chris Rock needs to apologize for this and that. And Will Smith needs to apologize. The academy needs to apologize for trying to slough off the blame of what went on. But Actor Harry Lennox, a fine actor from The Blacklist and Billions, he says Will Smith should return his Oscar. It doesn't mean someone else would get it. It's like, I don't get to hold this. And it would go to the Academy Library. You know, it would go to the museum, I assume. But that's sort of, you know, that's what he's saying. It's not enough. Do something else. How about you just give it back and say, I don't get to hold on to this. I don't have the right to celebrate this. And, uh, you know, they don't need his, it, it won't be rescinded. It, the, the Oscar won't go to say Andrew Garfield as the runner-up, whoever the runner-up was, but that would be cool to know. But I thought that might be another gesture he could do when he's trying to figure out how to show the world his remorse. Well, you know, it wouldn't disappear. You'd still be the Oscar winner. It would be shown in the Academy Museum in some way, perhaps with some acknowledgement of the incident. Uh, you know, it's just a thought, but you know, he hasn't apologized in public. We haven't heard from Chris Rock yet, but we have heard from Sam Elliott. Right while the Oscar season was going on, he made a buffoon of himself belittling the movie The Power of the Dog. It's okay not to like him. He's like, what's with all these gay people? <laughs> he just couldn't. Why is, this, why is this woman making a movie about the West? What does she know about Westerns? What do you, <laughs> they kinda, you only had two pairs of chaps to the, the fuzzy one and the, the leather one. Like, like everybody he, he knows. Was, yeah, he was like, <laughs> I'm a cowboy and that was not accurate. <laughs> yeah, and she's just, like, you're actually not a cowboy. You're a movie star. <laughs> Which I thought well, was I play hilarious. one in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and and to his credit, once he was sitting on a panel talking about his TV show 1883 or 63. I have no the, idea. The yeah. prequel to Yellowstone. Uh, oh, he's okay. like, he said, basically, I'm a complete schmuck. Yeah. He, he, he apologized at length, sincerely. And I, I, I thought it was cool. Clearly, he has a hang up about gay people and Westerns, whatever. But he was like, I'm an idiot. And he's like, I've been so supported by the gay community my entire career. And I'm like, you have? 
I've never heard a gay person mention Sam Elliott in my life. And so, but he meant he's worked with gay people, which of course you're in Hollywood. Of course you've worked with gay people. He's like, I've worked with great people. I have friends who are gay. I hurt them. What I said was wrong and stupid. And I apologize to the director. That was stupid of me. I apologize to all the good actors, including Benedict Cumberbatch. He's a great actor. You know, he was in public. He ate his crow and it didn't seem rote. It seemed like he really did feel bad about what he said. You know, he's where he's coming from. He's just an old straight white guy. And he's like, what is this movie? That's okay. You don't have to like the movie, but you know, going public and saying those things was out of line. And I thought it was cool that he could own up to it and just say, and you know what? That's a real cowboy who owns up to what he said. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I bet you he's also like, and these podcast things, apparently people listen to them. But I did not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's move on. Okay, well, you know, COVID, we barely had time to miss you, okay? The Broadway season is barreling towards the Tony Awards, but the pandemic is getting in the way. Matthew Broderick got COVID and had to stay away from Neil Simon's Plaza Suite. Now Sarah Jessica Parker, his wife, and also co-star in Plaza Suite, she has COVID. So the show is canceling performances. By the way, so is Macbeth after Daniel Craig and other cast members tested positive. Finally, the highly anticipated Pulitzer Prize winning musical In the Loop had to delay its opening and the struggling musical Paradise Square had to shut down as well. Maybe the mask mandates through the end of April weren't such a bad thing after all. Who knows? Big deal or big big whoop? Well, it's happily, it's it's a big deal for each individual show, but it's a big whoop. We haven't heard about people getting really sick because they have to be vaccinated though new york city obnoxiously and stupidly has now said if you're a baseball player or a performer you don't have to be vaccinated but because all these people i believe have been vaccinated they're not going to the hospital they're not getting sick and they're not dying and the people around them are not getting sick and dying as far as we know but it can eventually get to somebody who is really vulnerable and that's why they're shutting down and they've There was just a story today about extending some of these shutdowns for some of these shows. I'm sorry, I don't have that latest info, but it'll probably change by the time you hear the podcast anyway. So I'm glad they've taken these precautions. I'm glad everybody involved seems to have been vaccinated. And it's really great news to hear that if you're vaccinated or you've had COVID before and then you get vaccinated and a booster that you may get COVID, but you're not going to get sick and have to go to the hospital and or die or get intubated, and you're hopefully not going to pass it on to other people at a big enough level that they're going to get sick and die. So we're dealing with it. It's a pain in the neck to go to public in a super spreader event or go to work. If you're sick, you got COVID, you don't go to work. doesn't matter if you're not feeling, you know, you feel okay. You just stay at home until you're not infectious anymore. That's what you should do. But theater goes on on Broadway and the West End. And in the West End, we just had the Olivier Awards. The Tonys will be in June, I think. But the yes. Olivier Awards are being handed out right now. And they just did it last night. And the big winner is an immersive revival of the musical Cabaret. Now, that and Eddie Redmayne were the big, big winners. In fact, all four top awards in musical for acting were won by Cabaret, which, of course, won Best Revival as well. So that will surely come to Broadway. It's like... Completely immersive. You're at a nightclub. That's how they do it. Um, Also heading our way will be the best new musical, Back to the Future, and The Car, and the best new play, Life of Pi, based on, of course, the best-selling novel. That will be the next war horse, I think, thanks to puppetry that brings a bunch of animals, especially a tiger, to life. And the team behind that tiger actually won Best Supporting Actor. That's awesome. The first time people doing puppetry have won for performing a character who does not speak. Uh, That's very, very cool. Uh, It sounds well-deserved and very popular choice. 
It's a lot of creative people bringing a character to life via puppetry. And that's finally been, you know, recognized by the Olivier's with a best supporting actor nod. That's very cool. I didn't really like the movie. Wait, wait, did did they win the award? They won the award. They won. Yes. So that's very, very cool. They won best supporting actor, like seven people bringing that tiger to life. One best supporting actor. So that's cool. I didn't really like the movie. I don't really like the book, but I'm kind of looking forward to seeing the play because of the puppetry and the technology behind it. What, do you, who gets to take the award home? Is it just like, well, I, I was the paw. I get to, I get the left foot of the award. Like, what, <laughs> well, as the, as, as, the, as the Oscars does, if there's three or four producers that they've allowed to win the award, yeah, they I all know, they get one. Get and one. I assume yeah. they'll probably make one for them. This the well, first time they will ever have to make seven for one acting performance. So that's for sure. That's true. May, might be the last too. Who knows? Uh, I'd love to now, see Life of Pi, and I'd also love to see the Dead. Well, uh, you know the Dead. If you don't know who the Dead are, you know here's the thing: drug dealers who specialize in acid, y- beware, because the Grateful Dead are never going to tour again. No. After touring for seven decades, the artists now calling themselves Dead and Company will be calling it a day. Their 2022 tour will be their last. Bob Weir, Mickey Hart. And Bill Kreutzman, along with John Mayer, who was performing with them, and others are finally saying goodbye to the road. This ends the journey that began in 1965 in Palo Alto, California, led to their debut album in 1967, and over the next 55 years, rewrote the rule book of rock and roll in countless ways. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, It's a big deal. It's the end of an era. Jimmy Buffett and so many other people have followed in their wake uh, doing what they have done. Uh, they innovated in a, in a hundred different ways, some of which have been copied widely, others which are never copied, like, hey, plug into the soundboard and copy our show. I don't think anybody else still does that. But, you know, it's certainly time. The thing I like about this is that the tickets have been on sale. They're on the tour. It's already happening. And they're like, yeah, this is going to be the end. They didn't say, hey, we're having a big final tour. You know, they were just cool about it. They're like, yeah, yeah. This, you know, we're in the midst of the tour. You probably already have a ticket, but this is going to be the end. So I thought that was cool that they weren't trying to cash in. They've always done things in a counterintuitive way. It's paid off for them massively commercially. I mean, there are books and classes on the innovations of the Grateful Dead as a business and as a, as a franchise and as the things that they've done beyond their music. And of course, they have some great albums too, but very cool. Very interesting to see. I'm sorry. I will never have seen them in concert or Do you done acid. do you remember when we uh i'm trying to remember the book the ticket masters i believe it was called and how the grateful dead was such a a a pioneer in ticketing Mm -hmm. at the time because they sold directly to their fans right yeah it's very cool now michael here's a big question you you haven't done acid but can you cha-cha-cha of course okay because we're headed to dancing with the stars what Yes, Michael and I will be competing against each other on the upcoming season of the long-running competition series. They oh, wanted that's us to, awesome. Yeah, they wanted us to dance together, but we couldn't really agree on who should lead. So make sure you watch us on ABC. Um, I, 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 mean, I mean, actually, make sure you stream us on Disney+. Plus. Yes, after 16 years on a major network, the show is moving solely to Disney+, Plus as the streamer's first live, ET, live TV series. Here's the thing, people. Streamers are no longer afraid of live TV. By the way, Disney Plus also renewed the show for two more seasons of maybe 11 episodes each. Big deal or big whoop? A couple of things. One, I can't wait to go on the show and compete with you, Sperling. Two, I love the idea that somebody thinks we might be big enough to actually be on dance. They, they know. They know it's a joke. Uh, streamers on demand 
You know, the streaming is known for being on demand. They do have live stuff. They have live stuff on Peacock, live stuff elsewhere, live sports, live things, live television. I guess it makes sense, but that's a huge change. This show, I mean, up until, you know, for a decade, it was a top 10 hit on ABC. Uh, it's still in the top 40. It has dropped in the last decade from growing about 18 million people a week to 6 million people a week. So it's obviously much smaller. Those 6 million on a streamer is good numbers. You know, that's, you can make a living on that. Uh, so that's interesting. And one thing I was annoyed by was when they say, oh, it's 30 seasons of Dancing with the Stars. It's like, wait, no, no, no. It has not been around since 1992. I always divide when they, when by they, two. When they run, well, but not every show does that. Not every show has two, two runs in a season. Like, you know, some do, some don't. So it's annoying. Like, no. It's been around for uh, 16 years, I believe. Yeah, I believe it's been around for 16 years because there were a couple seasons where they just had one run in the season. So yeah, it's not 30 seasons. It's been, they've been around for 16 years. Don't play games. That's a long, long time for a TV show. And finally, here's a weird note. In the Variety story about this, they casually mentioned, oh, by the way, it hasn't been a moneymaker for years. Yeah, that's really? something to know. Really? To know. A, how much do the judges get? Just get some new judges, you know, it's like, it's like, why would Dancing with the Stars be expensive? The celebrities are all doing it for fun. You just dumped your long running hosts and to get Tyra Banks, I assume she didn't get more money than him. You know, if you had a new host, presumably you saved a little bit of money. She still gets top dollar, Tyra Banks, but still that's the whole point of reality shows. They're supposed to be cheap and money makers. Why would it be losing money? That's, that's dreadful. So I'd love to know more about that. If you know why it's losing money, tell us. <laughs> I guess it's the licensing fees to the producers and people. Who knows? But that's very inside baseball. That is indeed. It is a time for inside baseball where we analyze some of the headlines that had the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain, or at least Sperling will, and I'll try to understand what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. What's our big story this week, Sperling? Warner Brothers or Warner Brothers Discovery, or Warner Media being acquired by Discovery and essentially taken over by Discovery, and AT&T going, yeah, you know that whole thing where we uh, bought a media company? That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a merger in the same way that an arranged marriage is a merger. It's like, we're in charge now, goodbye. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, so, I mean, essentially, here's what ha I mean, when you think about it, Discovery's taking over like, what, 23 29% and mm -hmm. control. Whereas mm -hmm. AT&T is saying, look, we still own a majority of it, but we want nothing to do with it. You guys just run the darn thing and bring us the money. Yeah. Um, why not just call it Warner Brothers? Why the discovery? Just to like keep them happy? Ego. I, yeah. Yeah. Ego. Because it's dumb. It's like, it's Warner Brothers. You got a discovery channel. Other than that channel, who the hell cares? You know, discovery has no impact beyond the fact that they got a channel like ABC. You know, anyway, well, the mergers happened. And there's a lot of fallout. I think the big thing, of course, is David Zaslov is in charge. No doubt about that. Plus, there's no emeritus sitting around to kvetch like at Disney after its change in leadership, right? So that's nice. He is the boss, clean, clear, and through. Yes. Well, and, and he basically said, and I'm not going to create a big boss uh, like a, a Chapek. I am the Chapek. There is nobody else. And then there's He's like not going to put anyone above him? He had to say that? Who would ever do that? Well, no, I'm going to no, hire someone to be above me. No, but I mean, you know, uh, I guess if you look at Jason Kylar, who was the in charge of the media, he had to group, report. Yeah, he he had to report to AT and T. Whereas here, it's like there is no AT and T. I am AT and T. There's just a board. He has to respond to the board, of course. Correct. But, yes. Right. Okay. 
And what's the and, new reality for Warner Brothers? This is a big, high-rolling media company for decades, for 100 years or whatever, you know, for a yes, long, and, long time. And then you have Discovery taking over, who was a big, low-rolling, you know, vice <laughs> road truckers, you know, <laughs> housewives. Uh, you know, if you can make this, this show... For $150, we'll air it because that's effectively <laughs> what they've done. And so there's a lot of trepidation about like, well, hey, what's going to happen here? Are they going to like come in and be like, yeah, you can do Batman. Here's like, uh, here's a million dollars. We <laughs> expect enough, it, right? We expect it by the end of the week. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> and if you were connected to 18, if you were connected to 18, uh, 18 T, uh, please hold. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Basically, did you AT&T. see John Oliver who who works for HBO? No. He basically said he gave them a two finger salute, one on each hand. Okay, so he said these are two bars more than I usually get with AT and T, flipping on <laughs> the bird, saying, and he was just very happy to not be an AT and T employee anymore. Uh, I, w- I was, you know, that said, uh, yeah, I guess. You if know, you were AT&T in a top exec out. and AT and T put you in power, basically you're gone. You're heading for the door if you're not already gone. It's team discovery all the way. So at the top echelon, almost everybody that AT&T put in place is like, yeah, I guess it's time to go. Except, of course, for some big exceptions who were holdovers before AT&T, right? Yes. And these are people that have kind of uh, stood the test of time. One is HBO's Casey Bloys. He worked his way up at HBO. He was in charge of the comedy thing like Silicon Valley and and all of those types of shows uh, at Curb Your Enthusiasm. And then he was put in charge of all of HBO and then, of course, HBO Max. And so he's staying on and Zasloff has kind of tapped him to, to be in charge of that. And Toby Emmerich, who I've known since the late 90s, and I knew him as a music... He, he started at New Line Cinema as a music supervisor in 1992, worked his way up. He wrote screenplays while he was an executive, and he was put in charge of New Line Cinema at, at some point. And he kind of just kept, he's lasted through countless regime changes. And basically, Zaslav, who knows very little, if if not nothing, about the movie business, has said, Toby, for now, you're staying there. Uh, so he's in charge of Warner Brother Picture Group. And then uh, I'm trying Is to remember- Is that a huge the- release to- exhibitors and the producers and everybody in town who deal with Warner Brothers, they're like, oh, thank God. Yes, because he actually does understand the movie business. It's not like he's like, well, I'm going to try and figure this out. So you put the film in the camera, how exactly? Like, he's just, <laughs> he he gets it and he's uh, he's theatrical focused and he is also, hey, I'm theatrical focused, but I want to make money and I want to create these projects that not only make money in theaters, but are then incredibly valuable to HBO and HBO Max because Mm -hmm. that's the game. And Casey Bloys, I mean, really, Zaslav went out of his way to keep praising him during this whole merger period. And when they take it over, he kept saying, oh, this guy's great. Look at all the hits he's had. Mare of Easttown, Hacks, Succession, on and on. He kept talking about all the shows. In fact, I guess all his kids are growing up where he probably would have mentioned Euphoria, too. I kept thinking, what about Euphoria? That's a big hit, too. But, you know, uh, lots and lots of praise for Casey Bloys. Lots of support from the boss in in that corner. Uh, But the old boss, Jason Keelar, is gone. And he had some parting shots. He gave his exit interview. He tooted his own horn. And he had the cojones, the cojones to say this. He famously, of course, during the pandemic said, all right, every movie we put out in 2021 is going to go day and date on HBO Max. Boom. Done. It's for the fans. It's for the fans. We're doing it for the fans. Doing it for the kids. He didn't tell anybody about this. Like virtually none of the stars knew. None of the directors knew. Nobody knew. It was a shock to all of them. And 
It was a disaster. Don't you remember when we covered this and and it was uh, Richard Lovett who was like, dear Jason, you suck. Like he basically said, we'll see you in court. Basically him and Brian Lord, the the agents, the power agents. Yeah. And, and of course, Christopher Nolan, furious, you know, well, once great companies ruined, you know, infuriated everyone, of course, ended up paying out hundreds of millions of dollars in make goods because those movies weren't having their proper theatrical release, even if they were getting some sort of day and day release. Uh, he might have ended up doing that anyway for each individual movie. He might have even decided to do it in advance the way he did and announce it like that. But he should have cleared it with everyone, made sure everyone was on board found the one or two movies like Dune that that wouldn't work with. And then even worse was this ridiculous windowing thing where it was a 30-day day and date on HBO Max, and then it would disappear and be exclusive for theaters after everybody's all like, whatever, it's been in theaters for a month. And then it would go back to HBO Max someday in the future to the point where people were like, where's King Richard? I was going to watch it last week, and now it's gone. You know, it's not on my HBO Max. It was just ridiculous, incompetent on every level. And yet he said, history is already looking at it quite favorably. In fact, it worked. We were the first over the wall. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you were the first and last over the wall. I was going to say, else. was anybody behind you? Because I don't think no, they were. No, come on, come on, go. Come on, everybody. hello, everybody. Hello, hello. It's like, yeah. nobody else did this. It was stupid. And yes, every single movie you put out may have been day and date. And yes, maybe you wanted to promote on HBO Max, but the way he did it was horrible and dumb. And no, I don't think anybody right now is thinking the future is day and date. They're thinking at least 45 days in the theater. Stupidly, they're not thinking even longer and saying, well, if we got legs, might as well let it go. But at least they recognize the times have changed, just like exhibitors. 90 days is too long. 45 days is covering the vast majority of box hours for the vast majority of movies. And so we'll be free to take it to our streamer after 45 days. But I don't hear anybody right now saying, oh, yeah, the way to take a $200 million movie is to open it day and date on your streamer. Now, nobody is talking about that. But he's got a lot Could of you nerve, imagine if, if, if Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was on Paramount Plus? First of all, nobody would have seen it. Okay, so there's that. And it wouldn't have made $71 million this weekend in North America alone. So, yeah. you know, here's the thing. I covered this on, uh, I happen to be the the uh, editor of our newsletter over at Celluloid Junkie this week. Usually it's Patrick Von Sikowski. Uh And he, uh, so t- this week I actually covered this particular news item. I laughed about, I was like, yeah, I had already had that in the notes, Sperling. <laughs> like, that's hilarious, of course. I mean, that, that just makes you go, really? History has already judged, really? <laughs> And you eviscerated him. Yeah, well, because I think, look, he is a very smart guy. But in this instance, he was brought in to do one thing. Get more HBO Max subscribers. He says he did it. I would argue, hey, you got 8 million tops, maybe maybe 10 million tops new subscribers for HBO Max in, in that year. And guess what? Netflix got 8 million subscribers worldwide in the fourth quarter. Okay, so... Congratulations, you did it by blowing up your studio. So much so that it lost so much valuation that AT&T then sold it. They sold it for other reasons as well. That said, if it worked so well, why aren't you continuing to do it? If it was such a big success, here's one thing Hollywood doesn't do. They don't look at a success and go, well, that was nice. That was a big success. Let's only let's do not it copy once. It. Let's, yeah, let's, we don't want to copy it. <laughs> or or might, well, I, might I point you to Indiana Jones, like, and that's coming out next year. You know, it, now it's, 10 million new subscribers to HBO. I don't know how many of those were in North America versus worldwide, but in North America, they would make about $12 per user. So that would mean that would be about 
$1.2 billion a year in revenue, assuming all of those people were paying $12 in. So that's an extra $1.2 billion. The question is, would you have made more money if you'd released all those movies theatrically in a world where that could be done safely? Of course, it's a pandemic. So saying, hey, this, this was all just a crazy thing we did during the plague, we could say, okay, as opposed to, oh, yeah, history said this was great. You know, this is the way of the future. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. You know what? what shocked- say, mm-hmm. say one thing about the guy. He stood up and he continues to talk to the media about how, how, you know, about this decision. Now, a lot of people are saying, look, if you had said, hey, first six months of 2021, everything day and date, because when you look at after the box that, office, we'll see, we'll see what's going on. Yeah. If you look at the box office, it was all backloaded. It was fourth quarter, maybe third quarter. He could have said first six months, everything day and date after that. We'll see. There were 14 ways to handle the situation and he chose the dumbest. <laughs> but but what shocks me even more is the anecdote buried in one of the stories about AT&T. Did you see this anecdote about CEO John Stanky? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did your jaw drop? Did you go, really? Apparently. I, I thought it was just, I, I really want sourcing on this because I, I ugh, it just is. Well, of course. Nonetheless, it's too delicious not to mention. They did seem to not really enjoy or know what the hell they were doing with, uh, with Warner Brothers. And the story told without any quotes was that at an early meeting, the top execs at AT&T, which they eventually said, John Stanky, didn't realize that like channels like TNT and TBS and other outlets that Warner Brothers controlled we're showing stuff from other studios. They thought like everything was made by Warner Brothers being shown on TV. They had no idea that like, oh, CBS and Paramount and University, you know, like all these other outlets provide channels to provide programming for these channels. And they were like, what? Really? And it's like, yeah, okay. I don't think my mom knows or thinks about that. But if you're buying a multi-billion dollar entertainment company, that's kind of pretty basic thing not to know, don't you think? I agree. I mean, it's just kind of, it's like you have no idea what the business is if you don't know that. I mean, yeah. I don't know much, but I know that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, you make your own movies released for one of us, but even that's not true. You pick up movies. You see them at festivals. You, know, you don't even green light all the movies that you release. You know, it's like, no, that's not how it works. It's just a, a bizarre blind spot. Well, and the big thing here is that this company, Warner Brothers Discovery, now has $55 billion in debt at a time when the cost of content, for them at least, for HBO Max, is going up, not down. And so how they're going to get out from under that debt, to give you some sense, I think uh, Netflix has about, like, maybe it's like, maybe $14 billion in debt, maybe, which was considered way too high for Netflix. They have, they have, a, lot of, they have a, lot of, uh, a lot of cash flow, too. Yes, they have $53 billion in revenue a year or something to that effect. Netflix was co- Netflix cost $16 billion, you know, for the private equity group. I wonder how much that they're going to end up with. All you I know Nielsen, is- Nielsen, not, Nielsen, not Netflix. Yeah, what did yeah. I say? Netflix, yeah, Nielsen. Sorry about that. But all I know is that the agency's direct ownership of Warner Brothers is dead. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. So you're saying that if you said the word dead, we must be talking about some obituaries like, say, the Hong Kong action star Jimmy Wang Yu, who died at the age of 79? Yes, the one-armed swordsman is dead. To be more accurate, Taiwanese actor Jimmy Wang Yu, who shot to worldwide fame in the Hong Kong martial arts movie of the same name, is dead. Wang was a staple of the famed Shaw Brothers studio. You know that name, right? Oh, yeah. Shaw Brothers, yeah. Run, run, Shaw. That's that's the name of the BAFTA screening room. 
Cool. And 1967's One-Armed Swordsman became the first local film to hit $1 million Hong Kong in that market of Hong Kong. It grossed $1 million, the biggest hit of all time at the time, the first local movie to do that. That's as when the Hong Kong cinema came of age. Numerous sequels followed, not to mention One-Armed Boxer and Master of the Flying Guillotine. Wang, who did have two arms, was praised by the likes of Jackie Chan and director Ang Lee upon his death. His life was as colorful as his films. Apparently, at one point, he was charged with murder. The charges were dropped and claimed he'd been hired to assassinate a political rival, but never followed through. Hey, it's Hong Kong, Jake. I mean, you know, that's nutty. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. By the way, the whole city is Chinatown, FYI. And uh, by the way, across across the bay, also China. So, <laughs> <laughs> And author Jack Higgins is dead. He wrote many thrillers. He died at the age of 92. Very popular writer under various pen names. Jack Higgins is a pen name, too. He sold some 250 million copies of his titles. But the one he is known for best of all is The Eagle Has Landed. That was a book about German commandos parachuting or secreting themselves into England to try and kidnap Winston Churchill in the middle of World War II. A crazy plot. And it's one of those thrillers about something that you know didn't happen. You know Churchill was not kidnapped by German commandos, and yet it's done so well. You're excited, and you keep, what's going to happen next? So uh, cool credit. You know, Jack Higgins, he really did it. And that novel, The Eagle Has Landed, is on my list of the 110 best thrillers of all time. I've done these lists for Parade Magazine. They were a lot of fun. Literally today just came out a roundup of the 32 writers who shared their opinions and beliefs about the best books of all time. So we'll have a link to the list. If you love thrillers or mysteries or anything like that, we'll have a list in our show notes to that and my story about the uh, 32 writers talking more in depth about their favorite thrillers and crime novels of all time. So I hope you'll check it out. Well, also uh, passing away was teen idol Bobby Rydell. He died of, of pneumonia at the age of 79. Uh, and you might know him. He, he had six, well, he had songs for like six years, like the late 50s, early 60s, 1959 through 65, inspired the Beatles to write She Loves You. So thank you for that. Uh, and yeah. he, he appeared in the film version of Bye Bye Birdie and danced with Anne Margaret and even got named in the musical Grease, if you recall. That's right, because the, the high school where they attend is Rydell High, named after yeah. Bobby Rydell. He had 19 yeah. top 40 hits, which is about 15 more than I would have guessed. If you'd said, how many hits does Bobby Rydell have? I'd be like, I don't know, three, four. So good for him. Big hits included Volari and Wild One. And we do have a clip from Bye Bye Birdie in our show notes where he dances away. He's, he and Ann Margaret are having a fight, and they're at a, a hangout place, and they dance with other people to try and make each other jealous and angry. It's a fun clip. I've never actually seen Bye Bye Birdie. On stage or in film, it just doesn't look that good. I don't know. But it's a fun clip. But I'm going to um, watch it and then get a few pointers for our dance-off on Dancing with the Stars. Good idea. If you can dance like Anne Margaret, you'll win. How is that for a callback? Now, speaking of calling back, by the way, we actually have a return visitor or a, a return writer, a return listener, one might say. In fact, it's Asad Boot from... Uh, Okay, you, you pronounce it. Raphaelion. Uh, his wife has helpfully given us a, uh, a, a pronunciation key. Uh, Raphaelion is how you say the company that he's at. He's at Raphaelion and uh, Raphaelion.com. So that's the company that has where he's promoting um, 
well, understanding it's, it's, and reaching out. It's a, it's a, it's a media company that has uh, elevates diverse voices. They have podcasts, they have other projects that they do reaching out to the world, American Muslim project and other podcasts and things. They have a newsletter. They have immigrantly a cost cultural conversations podcast and all sorts of stuff. You can find it all at Rafilian.com. And let me spell that for you because it's spelled R I F E L I O N.com. That's right. And of course we'll have a link in our show notes. And he writes, loved the post-Oscar commentary. I I should say, actually, he wrote to dirt at showbizsandbox.com. D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. I knew I was forgetting something there. Uh, He he writes, loved the Oscar commentary. One thing I thought was worth noting is that the U.S. audience would not have seen much of the Will Smith slash Chris Rock violence and reaction because it was censored in the U.S. It's good that people in other territories posted it on social media or elsewhere. We may never have seen what really happened otherwise. The reason I bring this up is because it's important to note that the U.S. still has censorship laws on its books. Too many times the conversation is around China or countries in the Middle East censoring content, which tends to create a sense of those people are backwards for having censorship laws. For example, I believe just a few months ago, you all noted a movie, I believe it was Eternals, it was censored in some Middle Eastern countries for having gay characters. So just to note that censorship is an issue everywhere and still happens in the U.S., unfortunately, too. Also, side note, I can't believe the James Bond spoiler in last week's episode. I had literally watched the first two hours on a flight down to L.A. from Portland the day before and was planning on watching the ending on the way back. Also, I sort of expected the spoiler to come from Sperling as opposed to from Michael. (laughs) Keep up the great work, Assad. Oh, I feel terrible. Yeah, it's so hard. It's like you should never give any spoiler away to anything because we don't watch things at the same time anymore. Yes, the Batman came out in theaters, so you would think after next week it's on HBO Max, you'd figure a month or two after that. But, you know, people are just starting to watch Breaking Bad. They're just starting to watch, you know, uh, uh, a movie from the 90s. Yeah, The Wire. It's just... It's just you can never mention anything again about a spoiler. So I, I I do feel bad. I guess I felt like it was covered so much in the media that it was a sort of the, the, the cat was out of the bag. So I feel terrible that said, about that. That, mm-hmm. that said, I, I didn't see uh, the James Bond movie, uh, No Time to Die, for like two and a half don't months. Tell, don't say the spoiler again in case other people no, are I, still... I won't. Yeah. And I figured it out based on, one, when it was released, all the chatter about it. Uh, Mm. So I kind of knew what was coming because of the way it was being talked about. Uh, It was like, well, they could really only be one thing. I guess, you know, this is what's happened, especially since what the actor has said about his time as James Bond. You know, I could figure it out. That said, it's still not good to spoil things. However, I don't think that was that was Assad's point. His point is, yes, there is that, you know, there is censorship. They call them decency laws here, by the way. Uh, not censorship. They've purposely right. well, renamed them. <laughs> well, there's a couple of things. One, we're certainly aware of censorship by local, state, and federal government. It happens in the U.S. It happens in many countries. Uh, the U.K. has interesting uh, laws about the press, which are can be challenged at times. In the U.S., we have a raft of of laws, censorship about what teachers can say in a classroom and how they can be fined or sued by anyone, even someone who doesn't have a child in the class, if they hear the teacher said something that they think goes against the rules of that state. There are books being pulled from library shelves because one public figure or one parent complains, which is not how it should work. Um, But uh, that's really bad. There's the don't say gay laws in Florida. We've been talking about that. So we certainly have been recognizing that that constitutes censorship when a state is telling teachers 
in public schools, oh, you you know, we, we want to make we want to make you scared to talk about anything about U.S. history that we may not approve of, but we won't tell you what that is. So that it does all happen a lot. However, the Oscars was not censored by anybody. A, there was no law against ABC showing uh, Will Smith slapping uh, Chris Rock. No, it was uh, the language. Been, it was the language that was the issue. Right, but that's not censored. That, again, that that that. W- that was not why it was not aired. It was aired because they had on a delay and they didn't want to show it. They didn't want to hear him cursing on the air. They maybe would have had to pay a small fine. But again, that that's more like self-censorship since they have the right to show stuff like that. And many, many channels can show anything like that, all the cursing and violence that they want. There's no federal law against it. ABC is a little different because it's over the air and has a license, unlike, say, HBO Max, which can air all the profanity it wants. But that was mostly... Uh, just uh, ABC trying to make sure the product it had was as palatable to a wide audience as possible. So yeah, we're lucky that Australia and some other countries had a live feed and we could get copies of that online and see what actually happened. Though I watched the thing and there was no doubt in my mind what was going on. You could, you know, so again, that's not the government saying you cannot show a person hitting another person or there's no violence or you can't show a woman without covering on her hair. That's the government uh, letting people censor themselves in a way because they think it's good for business. So there is that FCC license. They would have had a fine if they had not bleeped out um, uh, Will Smith's profanity. So that's true. And there is a government law about that because it's prime time and they think families are still around and there are certain hours where you cannot use certain words. Uh, you can't show people having you know explicit sex on eight, at 8 o'clock during the family hour. So I don't know if that's uh, censorship so much as guidelines to what certain outlets with government licenses are allowed to do at certain times of the day. Uh, but that's very different from like the state laws in Florida where they're saying, be careful what you talk about in class or we're going to, you know, fine you thousands of dollars and basically censor you from saying what you believe. So that is ABC, definitely censorship. <laughs> that is censorship from the government. ABC, I think, was just saying, we don't want to show violence on our show. This isn't meant to be shown on the air. It, we don't it want had to. nothing to do with the violence and everything to do well, with the language. Well, they didn't show the violence either, did they? Well, they, yes, actually, they, did. they didn't know because they didn't know it was happening. That's Correct. Right. They had no idea but, what was happening. But we saw him in his seat. Did we not Did, did Correct. We not air him even yelling out and just bleep out what he said? I thought that's what they did. It was just the word. Right? Well, what the, yes, correct. What they did was uh, as soon as it happened uh, and he was walking back, they jumped, they, they muted it, number one, and they jumped ahead the five seconds and then because there, there's a five-second delay, and then right. let the five seconds catch up. And while it was catching up, it was muted, and uh, we could see what he was saying and, you know, read his right. lips. It wasn't hard, yeah. And as soon as it was over, they they because they kept trying to raise the volume again, but then he was screaming, so they had to That's re-mute right. it. Uh, I just think it's important to make a distinction between censorship, which can only be done by the government at a local, state, or federal level, and say, Simon & Schuster deciding they don't want to sell your book. Or DirecTV saying, we don't want to carry your channel. That, That's that not said, censorship. It, it, but, mm-hmm. Playing devil's advocate or, or, or you know, looking at what Assad is saying, the reality is the reason that they had to self-censor, if you will, uh, is because they have a government of, license. Yeah, is because of a government uh, regulation. So in a way, the government is censoring through its regulation. For certain hours of the day on certain outlets, you can have all the cursing you want. The government does not censor language or violence. You can have you can have uh, pornography shown on your channel all you want. You can do you can do all well, sorts of things. Well, it does censor. As long as you have the 
No, it doesn't. Not in HBO Max, not in 10,000 outlets. You can do all sorts of things. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Just, the just, government yes, does not yeah, say no, nobody yeah, no. can curse in any media. That's not, that's true, not true, the true. case. Yes. That I'm only talking about on those saying, four networks. Those four networks. Right. Well, that's extreme. Yeah. Right. And we're in a world of a thousand channels and a million outlets. And on our podcast, we can curse all we want. And the government's not going to stop us because there's no censorship of, of explicit language. Or, or viewpoints in terms of what we can do as a podcaster. Now, a private company may decide they don't want to carry us anymore because we're calling for the overthrow of the government. And they'd say, well, that's, we don't really want to be in that business. You'll have to find somebody else to handle you. And you can talk about de facto censorship or that sort of thing. It's just important to make a distinction. But you're right. Uh, it's, there's a lot of censorship in every country in the world, except Canada. They're great. <laughs> Blame Canada. No, oh. I said they're great. They don't oh, do anything. Okay. <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to keep it to show business here, you know? Take us out. Take us out. Well, okay. Uh, you know, Assad wrote to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail as well, 888-567-SAND. That is 888-567-7263. Or like us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter, at showbizsandbox is our handle. Facebook, uh, we are facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. All that information is on our website, showbizsandbox.com. Now, you can find ways to subscribe to us on our website, too. iTunes, Google Play Store, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can usually find us. And please do rate and review us in any one of those podcast aggregators. It helps us out when you do. Links to the stories we've discussed on today's episode can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. Again, did you know we have a website at showbizsandbox.com? Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. In fact, the music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. And Michael Gilt has a website. And every week it's something new and exciting. I have a feeling it's going to be something very funny this week. What is it this week? No, Michael? it's going to be motherboop.com. Okay. <laughs> All right. Either way, I said, does somebody own mother.com? I bet they do. And yes, they do. It takes you to directly to redirects you to milftube.com. Do not type in mother.com. Do not go to milftube.com unless you really, really want to. That's not suitable for work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know what? In fact, if you want uh, to review some of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Uh-huh.